Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. Well, it's good to be here today. You all, you, you know, when your son invites you to preach and then he leaves. That is a signal or a warning or something, but uh, I appreciate the opportunity. I, uh, as all of you, I'm sure, being affected by COVID, mainly just being isolated, um, more so at home. Uh, when you get to be our age, you got this big X painted on you, like we're coming after you. COVID's coming after you, so. We've been staying around the house, having a lot of weird dreams. Uh, I don't know if any of you watch Hallmark movies. They're one of the, they're one of the best things to go to sleep by. And uh, the other day, Jane and I were sitting watching a Hallmark movie, and uh, uh, was some actress on there, and and. In the middle of it, I fell asleep, I guess. I, I don't know. She was sitting in a chair in a tight house talking to somebody, and I fell asleep. And all of a sudden, the camera swung down to her feet, and they were not prepared for camera. I mean, her feet were in rough shape. And I said to Jane, why would they show her feet? That is crazy. And then I woke up. <laughs> Now, I don't know if any of you are having nightmares or uh, hallucinations, but the time of COVID is a time of not being able to see very clearly. Okay? That's, that's one problem we have right now. We can't see the future as well. We never have been able to, but we thought we had the capacity to, and we kind of leaned into that, but we, we don't have that right now. And some of us are seeing things that are just flat out weird, okay, as it relates to what's our future? Where are we going to go? What's happening? And, and, you know, it's compounded by not only uh, the disease that's out there somewhere, but uh, also with the political tensions that we have, uh, the economic situation that's going to be more problematic as days go by because we've been printing a lot of money. Uh, the worldwide situation. There's a lot of unease. So it's, it's kind of hard to see, and uh, navigating through this time is difficult. Last Sunday, I think it was, I was sitting back here, and Grant was preaching, and as he was doing so, I was uh, thinking about church, because uh, I remember back in the middle 70s, starting a church, just me and my wife, and the difficult times we went through. I mean, flat difficult. We made it through, and better than that, we made it through with some great stories, okay? Now, you say, well, stories aren't anything. Stories are everything. Your story, God's story, is everything. I read a book back in the 70s called Don't Waste Your Sorrows. It was a follow-up to a book 
uh, destined for the throne by a man named Paul Bilheimer. And he said, everything is significant in your life. Don't throw away anything. Make it count for God in your life. So this morning, as I was sitting there, uh, I, I got a, a message. I didn't know what it was going to be, so I just started writing. It was a case for a supernatural birth. A case for a supernatural birth. Um, the great writer Mark Twain was born in 1935, and his birth wasn't significant in any way at the time except for this. Haley's Comet, or Halley's Comet, was appearing in the night sky in the United States at that time. It runs on a 75 to 76 year cycle, meaning every 75 to 76 years it would reappear. And in 75 years, Mark Twain was about to die. And he said this, I came in with Haley's Comet. It is coming again. And I expect to go out with it. The Almighty has said, no doubt, now here are these two unaccountable freaks. They came in together. They must go out together. He died with Halley's Comet visible in the night skies. It was as if the Almighty was saying, hey, look here. This is something. I'm signaling something special. Something ha is happening here that's important. And I have a plan for this one. Uh, I asked Grant if I could do this, but according to one of the contemporary poets of today, not my kind of poet, but a poet, just the same, Katy Perry, <laughs> she said, the one who has the best story wins. The one who has the best story wins. Through the years, I've observed that this is true. No matter what you go through, a little while ago, when the ladies were ministering in song, and was an anointing. Some of you sensed it. It was the presence of God calling people back. Through failure, through sin, transgression, whatever you want to call it, God was calling back. And uh, that song, that story that we have is important because it works through good times and bad times. It goes through times where we've created the mess we're in and times where we had nothing to do with it. We're victims. In the Bible, there are seven miraculous births mentioned. The first being Abraham and Sarah giving birth to a child when she was in her 90s. That just doesn't happen every day. I heard the other day a woman in her 50s just had a baby. And, uh, but uh, in the 90s, that's the first supernatural birth. The second is uh, Isaac's wife, Rebecca, who was barren. But the Lord blessed her, and she had twins, Jacob and Esau. And remember at their birth, they were actually fighting before they came out. Jacob grabbed Esau's heel and jumped up and came out first. 
That was probably an exciting birth. <laughs> I don't know how she felt about it, but it was probably exciting for somebody. Jacob's wife, Rachel, was childless. But the Lord heard her prayers, and she became pregnant and delivered Joseph. The next miraculous birth that's uh, pictured in the Bible was that of Samson, whose mother, too, could not give birth to a child, but at the Lord's opening of her womb, she was able to bring into this world probably the strongest man to ever have lived. Hannah's womb was closed for many years. However, the Lord heard her prayers, her drunken prayers, the priest thought. She said, I'm not drunk. I'm overwhelmed, you know. But God heard her and gave her a son named Samuel who was perhaps the mightiest prophet to ever have lived up until John the Baptist. A thousand years later, Elizabeth, who was well along in her years, became pregnant with John, who was known as the Baptist. And then six months later, Mary was visited by an angel who informed her that she would have a child, Jesus, even though she was a virgin. Seven miraculous births where God signals at birth that this is special. I'm doing something here. Something is going to occur and you need to pay attention to what's happening. Now, I want to tell you, there's nothing like a mom and her stories. Mothers, if you want to know, you're the most powerful creatures on earth. If I could call you a creature. You are powerful. And I'll tell you why. You have the last word every night many times to whisper into a child's ears things that you know, that God has shown you, that will bring about his purposes in that child's life. I can imagine the stories that these seven moms told. I believe they were powerful stories. I believe they probably told them quite often. Because if a mom has ever given birth, and it's been a miraculous birth, they're going to bring it up quite often. We almost lost you. You almost were not here. I can't believe what God has done. And they will say those things, and they will repeat them until those very stories frame the lives of that child with strength and purpose. They'll know this, I have to be here for some good reason because God did that. Abraham Lincoln was a storyteller. His father was a storyteller, jokester. He didn't like his father, but he retained the gift of gab and the ability to tell stories. He was, uh, he was probably a very depressed person. He was at least what they called in his day a melancholy person. And he told stories. He told so many stories that his cabinet members got tired of him. They would hear him telling the story as they entered the room. They would back out so they wouldn't have to go and listen to another story. One day he was starting a story, and I think it was Edward Stanton who said to him, President, please don't tell another story because they had important business to do in the 
country was in danger. And Abraham Lincoln said, I'm sorry, but if I don't tell these stories, I'll die. And I want to tell you, that president understood the power of the story. And the reality is, there are some stories that if you don't tell, you will die. Yes, the one with the best story wins. And what can be better than somebody saying, you're a miracle? What can be better than somebody pointing to you and say, they're a gift from God, a supernatural gift from God? What do you think Mary's stories were? You know, when, when you consider, I mean, we, we read it and we don't read it. I mean, we don't see this young girl getting talked to by an angel. I mean, this is impossible, incredible, but it happened. And so then, what kind of stories? Now, Jesus had a lot of brothers and sisters, so she couldn't tell him probably in front of everybody because she remembered the story of Joseph. <laughs> and she didn't want Jesus being thrown in a pit somewhere. But she was telling stories, I'm sure. And, and, and when you look at her song that she sings in Luke 1, 46 through 55, you kind of get a, an idea of what kind of stories she would have told to her son and in turn how that framed his life and his ministry. She said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he's lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. You see, the one with the best story wins. And Jesus certainly had that incredible story, not only his birth, but his near escape from Herod, who was trying to put to death those children born in that section of the land. But everybody doesn't have such a blessing. Not everybody has such a beginning. Some people are just plain ordinary. They don't have a comet. They might have a Roman candle or a sparkler, but nothing big happens as a result of their birth. There's no comet. There's no prophet. There's no angels attending their birth. So how does that ordinary, plain normal person find glory in their story? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because the scripture actually broadens the storylines of our lives. Remember the story of Moses? Now, his birth itself, that, that, that activity was nothing to uh, shout from the rooftops or anything. But we know that soon after he was born, 
there was an intent to put him to death. And we know that his picture is one of someone who didn't have a miraculous birth, but certainly their life came under imminent threat. And there was a deliverance of God that would be talked about the rest of his life. His life was saved by his mother's wisdom, his older sister's street smarts, Pharaoh's daughter's intervention, and and somebody's crazy basket-weaving skills. I mean, they put him afloat the Nile River. Have y'all ever seen the Nile River? Huh? That's a scary thought. To put your baby in that river, joining Moses in the supernatural birth story is Paul. Now, if you read Paul's story, as much as you can find in the New Testament, we know a little bit about where he's from, but we don't know anything about his birth, how he came into this world. We know nothing of that natural entry into the world, but later we see him experience his miraculous birth. While traveling in the wrong direction, going to get permission to kill Christians, followers of Jesus, he was knocked to the ground and blinded. He was led away to a man by the name of Ananias who would tell him the rest of his story. Scripture says it this way in Acts 22, verses 14 and 15. Then Ananias said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. He says, you will be a witness to all peoples of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. Paul tells his own story later. And when he does so, he weaves it into this supernatural story. And I like the way he says it. I'm not going to tell you the whole story that he says, his recounting of it. But this one sentence, he says, Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time. Was there anybody here born at the wrong time? All of us, usually. Most of us, parents say, oh, this is a bad time. This is not good. I was at camp when my oldest son was born. And I had been running after kids for a whole week and worn out tired. Kid, this was in South Carolina, was laying in bed and a scorpion. Now, in South Carolina, at that part of the land there, we don't have deadly scorpions. He didn't know that. But a scorpion fell down from the ceiling, fell on him, and he thought it bit him. We never found a bite mark. But I had to take him to the hospital in the middle of the night. I stayed up with that kid all night until the doctors finally released him, saying we can't find anything wrong with him. I got back to the camp, and the night before that, I had chased the boys out of the girls' area all night. And we had some that were really good runners. And so I was worn out, tired. Jane calls the camp and says, I'm in labor. you got to come. 
Well, it's about two hours away. I finally got all the kids, got their stuff in the van, took them back to the church, told the parents to get them. I went to the hospital in another city, another drive, and got there, and I was worn out, and she was angry that I had not been there. Well, I thought I was doing the Lord's work, you know, and scorpion business is really intense business, you know. And, but laying there, she was in pain and travail, and I was just sleepy. I was going to sleep. And I remember several times where she actually reached up and grabbed my face. And she said, Rick, you wake up. <laughs> you did this, now wake up. <laughs> it was the wrong time. Yeah. Wasn't the right time to come into the world. Paul says, last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw Jesus. Then in the New American Standard, that was the New Living Translation, New American Standard Bible says, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. Paul, say, Paul is saying this shouldn't have happened. This is supernatural. This wasn't the way it was meant to be. But my favorite is actually from the NIV, which says, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. <laughs> I, I just like those words. He says, as to one abnormally born, God appeared to me. And I can tell you something. To every mom given birth during the time of COVID-19, it is the wrong time. It's an abnormal time. To everyone getting married during COVID-19, wrong time. Not a good time. To everybody who is in school during COVID-19 and having to do it over flat screen education, wrong time. Bad. Bad. They ought to just give kids the rest of the year off. In fact, I'm going to make that a mandate right now. Y'all can be off the rest of the year. By the way, can I tell you something? Some of you are going to look back, and I see the children in here every week, and I'm going to tell you something. If they can be in here, it's a good thing. Because it brings about spiritual connection that you need. I've watched over the last so many years where we've taken our children out of the sanctuary, and they have no real spiritual connection to their parents. It's going to be a day when they're growing up that they need to have worshipped with you, seen you cry in the presence of God, seen you lift your hands up to the Lord that you serve. Just remember that. To every person in school, it's the wrong time. And to all who are trying to start a business or film a movie, it's the wrong time. And while I was sitting back there last Sunday, I would add uh, to everybody trying to start a church, which I've done, 
this is the wrong time. Oh, broken down building. I've been in here before. When Grant told me they were going to give him the building, I said, well, did they put some money in it? But he couldn't find anything better, especially for free. Amen? Is it trouble? Yeah. But were you trouble to your parents? Yeah. <laughs> Chris? You know you were. It's an abnormally wrong time to start a church. But God. For babies, marriages, businesses, and churches, it is a wrong time, but also it's a God-appointed time for a supernatural birth, framed by the miraculous, set apart with a purpose, and baptized deep in the wells of God's provision of strength. This time, these dark days, this period of confusion, this weakness, and this death will be a backdrop for many grace-filled stories. And the one with the best story wins. You know, this is a Sunday before Thanksgiving. And I'd like to ask you, what story is God writing for you in this abnormal time that makes it very difficult to see? You know, one, uh, somebody, I, I think it may have, may have been Lauren last week, talked about remembering, which is one of the most important words in the Bible. And which is why one of the scariest things that we encounter as adults is Alzheimer's because you forget. Remember is important because through remembering, we are energized for tomorrow by God's blessings yesterday. We need to remember. And one of the things that God spoke to Israel at times, I'm, I'm, I'm writing now, and right now I'm in I'm talking about or writing about priest, the priesthood. But one word of rebuke that, brought, that God brought to the children of Israel was that they had forgotten and that they had not even asked, where is God? Now, some of you are afraid to say, God, where are you? I would say if you're too afraid to say that, then you're not close enough to God. You ought to be close enough so that when he turns the corner, you're saying, okay, where, which way did you go? Where are you? During this time, we need to ask, where is God? And you might say, well, this is too big for me to understand. And I would agree with you, but it's not too big for you to understand how God can see you through this time. I noticed something years ago when I was doing a lot of counseling. 
every couple that I counseled whose marriage was truly in trouble, I would ask them to tell me what good things they remember from their life. I was just trying to get them to frame their married life. And I would find very frequently the fact was that one of the partners would say, I don't remember anything good. I don't remember anything good. And the other partner would sit there dying and say, you don't, you don't remember? You don't remember this? You don't remember that? You don't remember how we... No. And sometimes we're guilty because we haven't been telling the stories of forgetting. You see, you need to remember, you need to recite, and you need to rehearse. You need to remember, you need to say it again, and you need to say it (laughs) with your whole body and with everything that you are. And God, I remember... And I could tell you, and I'm not going to because we'll be here till Thanksgiving Day. But I could tell you things that I remember, things that we remember. Things that have been transformative, times that were so difficult I did not see how I could make it. Even now, I think I must have been in a haze because I say to myself, I couldn't have done that. That couldn't have happened. And these stories need to be about God. That's why you want to find out where he is. And you'll bring him back through your stories. I had a friend named Dick Dix who used to wear an old blue pullover uh, sweater all the time. Dick was not a poor man. He had retired early from a company that he was a manager over five plants. But he loved this sweatshirt. How many of you guys have a favorite, something favorite that you like to wear that your wife wants to throw out? Very much. But Dick's wife, Fran, wanted to throw out his old uh, sweater because it faded in some places. And Dick, who was an educated, I mean, just a great-mannered man, he took a blue pen and just colored it in. (laughs) I used to look at that old sweater and think, Dick, you are a mess. I love that. You know, that's cool. I put on my old blue one that bleach got on while I was cleaning the house, and it turned orange, but it matched my orange t-shirt, so I love to wear it. And, And I had it on, and then I thought about Dick, and and this is the way your stories go. And, and I remembered fishing with him one time, and he caught the biggest bass he ever had caught. And he was reeling it in. And we had taken an evangelist fishing with us, and he was in the middle of the boat, and he had to get the net. And Dick was sweating, and he was so excited. This bass was huge, and he was reeling it in. And we yelled, get the net, get the net. And the evangelist probably had never picked up a net before and he was dawdling around fumbling around and the bass was fighting jumping up spitting trying to spit the lure out 
And this evangelist was playing with the net like he was playing a game like badminton or something. And, and I could tell Dick's eyes got real wide. And I said, net him, net him. And all of a sudden, the, bats, the, the bass spit out the lure and swam away. And I remember looking at Dick Dick saying, I know you're a Christian now. You've been serving on my board for 10 years. You have raised a Christian family. You are all of these good things. But when you didn't cuss, <laughs> I knew you were a true man of God. That's what I thought. Here are three things, if you want to write them down, as you tell your story. Number one, remember God's presence. Even when you were running, as has been said today, even when you have been lying, as Jacob did, deceiving, God's presence was still there. Even when your prayer was only, take not your presence or your spirit from me. Number two, God's provision. Tell the story of provision. Tell the story how God made a way where there seemed to be no way when I can tell you about it. A day, a lady walked up to me and gave me $548.12 in an envelope, all cash. And I said, what's this for? And she said, God told me to give it to you. And I said, no. I, I, when I mentioned paying your car payment, I was, that was just an illustration. I had just preached, and I used that as an illustration. And... She said, but God told me to give it to you. I said, I don't need it. I said, I don't want to take your money. I didn't know how much it was at that time because she had just stuffed it all in, a, in an envelope. And I said, I don't need it. She said, Pastor, God told me to give it to you. Her name was Hazel. And I remember to this day, the tears in her eyes, and she said, don't take this blessing away from me. I reluctantly took the money the next day, our well went out. Pump. We lived in the country. We had water out of a well. I called the guy. He came and fixed it. It was just south of $548, I declare to you today. God provided. And finally, God's purpose Man, I don't know what the purpose of your film's going to be, David. But having made it now, in my opinion, it was a supernatural birth. Born in a time of trouble. I don't know about your relationships, but I can tell you some of you are finding right now, during this time, a supernatural birth something miraculous where in days to come you're going to be able to look back and say you know what I had no idea what I was going to do 
I had no idea what or how I was going to make it through this. But somehow, God did. And now I can tell the story, and I will tell it, because it's part of God's story that needs to be repeated by every person that ever experiences God. You see, as Malachi says, the lips of a priest, and don't fool yourself, priests aren't people that just wear garments in a Roman Catholic church or another similar church. Every one of us are priests in the kingdom of God. And as a priest, your lips are to preserve a story. Your lips are to preserve the truth and knowledge, I should say, by telling a story. Okay, the person, the one with the best story wins. Father, I ask you right now to let this word be fulfilled in our hearing today. In Jesus' name. I've got a mic up here. Uh, and if you don't want to come to the mic, but you don't mind standing up, is somebody, does somebody have a story? Does somebody have some way where during this time, this season, maybe it's just something peculiar to you or particular to you, but something's happening, and you'd just like to stand and say, God has, or I have seen, or I have received, whatever. Just a quick sentence. Does anybody have that today that you'd like to offer? Rachel? Bad time, bad time. Bad time. <laughs> um, but I've just been on a journey of trying to find my purpose and what God, and I love to tell people's stories. And I love to be able to capture a moment where a person's story can be shared. But I also know it's a super competitive business, and I always wanted to just kind of stand out. And the Lord has literally given me a person, and I get emotional talking about it, has given me a woman that's super successful in this business and wedding photography. Amen. Praise the Lord. Someone else. Provision, purpose. You're finding it now. Anyone? 
It's okay. Many times uh, these stories need to be told to ourselves and just those very close to us until, until we've really become owners of them. I understand that. But today, on this uh, Sunday before Thanksgiving, give thanks to God. Tell the story to your children. Repeat it over and allow them to know how gracious God has been. Years ago, I, uh, I was given a sermon by the Lord at Thanksgiving, and it was called Finding Glory in Your Story, based on Psalm 12, 72 or 3, I think. And uh, I, uh, I would preach it every year at this time, because uh, on November the 1st, we had twins, Grant and Evan Collins. The night before they were born, I prayed all night because I heard the radiologist say they couldn't find legs on one of the babies. So I went to the hospital the next day. We had these two little boys. One of them was struggling to live. We put him in an incubator. In a few days, Jane was able to take Grant home, and Evan was in an incubator in a town about 30 miles away. I drove there every day. Jane couldn't go. Me and my dad would meet, and uh, we fed him, and he was not digesting the food, so it was one of those situations where they'd actually inject the food into his body, and then after a while, I'd have to pull it back out to see how much he did not digest. I remember doing that every day, and he was shaky, had all kind of problems, and we prayed. And uh, for three weeks, he was in the hospital trying to gain enough weight to go home. And uh, the day before Thanksgiving, they let us take him home. So with our three boys, a little house out in the country, starting a church, dirt poor, we had Thanksgiving. And I still tell the story. You're being given stories to tell. And I promise you, nobody else should tell them but you. Some of you have gone through big loss during this time. Some of you have hurt. Some of you have done things because you're afraid. Some of you are just struggling mentally, emotionally to get through. God's given you a story. See him in it, his presence, his provision and find a purpose in it so that you might glorify him. Would you stand with me? Father, we thank you for this life that you've given us. And we thank you that you've given us a tremendous ability through our words to find purpose, to be reminded of your provision, and to remember that you've always been present. You've never, ever left us. God, we are your people. 
and you're our God. And there's no one like you. There's no other God who can love us and who brings salvation as do you. Father, on this uh, Sunday before we celebrate Thanksgiving, God, fill our hearts, fill our mouths with God's stories that will reflect who you are in our lives. And Father, we thank you. I thank you for Fountain City. I thank you for what they're becoming. Lord, some of them will look back in years and say, that was a formative time in my life. I don't know how I stayed. I don't know how I made it. I don't know how we did it. But God, truly, you have led us, and we thank you for it. In Jesus.